The word is a two-edged sword. I'm coming back to that. I was going to say I don't know where that came from, Graham, but I know where it came from. That's great. Thank you ever so much. Right, greetings, first of all, from Richard and from Ruth. I don't know if Richard and Ruth. <laughs> Richard and Mark, they're not here this morning, but my phone was buzzing in my pocket as we were singing, and Mark wants us to know that uh, we're thinking of him and he's thinking of us. So, with cacao talk... He says, greetings from Belgium. Rich and I had an issue-free trip to Ashford last night, a guaranteed good night sleep at a Premier Inn, followed by an underground crossing of the English Channel. We're now cruising at 120. I think he means kilometres. <laughs> Approaching Antwerp, nearly halfway to Berlin. Uh, they're, they're on a trek to Berlin. Apparently there's a swimming pool at Berlin. They want to have a swim in the at Berlin. They're coming back on Tuesday. Anyway, greetings from them. Um, I wanted to start, before we really get started, I want to share with you um, a little story of my personal experience this week. Don't get it too excited. It's not too exciting, but it blessed me, and I kind of wanted to bless you with it as well. Um, Tuesday morning, I was feeling a bit down on Monday night, actually. I do get down sometimes, but Tuesday morning, um, I was praying and God said to me, um, I want you to go out in the garden this morning. I've got some things that I want to say to you this morning. I want you to go out in the garden. Now, I was supposed to be working on a Tuesday. <laughs> Normally my Tuesday routine is I come down, I smile at Catherine and encourage her and uh, I drop into the coffee and chat next door and smile at people and encourage them. <laughs> Feel good about things. But God said to me, go into the garden. He had things to say. And uh, just a few minutes later, uh, my phone buzzed again, and this time it was Ruth, uh, Whitney, it was Ruth this time, sending me a, an email. I was feeling a bit guilty about going in the garden. I thought, perhaps, I'm not sure I'm hearing God right on this. But anyway, I had this email. I'll just try and find it here and read you what Ruth said to me. Um, here it comes. Uh, this is embedded in quite a long email from Ruth. Um, and she says, lastly, it sounds a bit random, but I felt, I, I felt led to pray for you and Graham this morning. And I feel you should have permission to be children, God's children, because there's a safety and a security that comes when we're working as sons next to our Father. He covers everything and he has got our backs. The picture I had was of a son gardening with his father. Isn't that bless me? picture of a son gardening with his father. Uh, and his father had all the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that would be needed, and therefore free to focus on a little bit of earth in front of him, just following the father's instructions. So that's what I did. Now, before I actually went to the garden, I, ha I remembered that I'd promised my next-door neighbor that I would fix the flashing. There's a lead flashing above the porch in the front of their house. And I'd noted a week before that the lead flashing had come loose and it was forecasting rain. The rain was going to leak in through the lead flashing. So I, I popped next door and sort of rather timidly said, I noticed this is loose. Um, would you like me to fix it for you? And they said yes, <laughs> trusting me with it perhaps. Anyway, I thought I ought to fix this lead flashing before I went out in the garden. So Rosemary helped me. We put a ladder up against the, 
the house next door, and uh, I started chipping, I chipped away the mortar, and I loosened the flashing away so I could tuck it back in again. And if you've ever done lead flashing, you know you put a little roll of lead, you push the lead into a groove in the brick wall, and then you, you ram in a piece of rolled up lead which holds it in place, and then you mortar over the top. It's quite an easy job, really. Um, except that when I got up there, I saw that there were two pieces of this lead flashing, the roll, that had come loose, which is why the flashing came away, and they disappeared. They weren't in the gutter, they weren't anywhere to be seen. So we jammed them in with a bit of cardboard there, thinking I'll fix it in with mortar. And I was up there on the ladder thinking, I really need some bits of lead. I wonder if I've got some bits of lead somewhere that I could use to fix this flashing in. Now, this is the important bit, really, Paul, uh, because uh, Graham has been teaching us about prayer. His prayer workshops are brilliant, and if you miss them, get the notes off the website and look at those notes from the prayer workshops that we've had. I've learned so much from those things, but one of the things I learned from the prayer workshops is it's okay to tell God anything that you want, but don't necessarily expect him to give it to you. Pour your heart out to God. Tell him what you need. Tell him your heart's desire. Just tell him what you want. And sometimes he'll bless you with that, and sometimes he'll say no. Graham also says, pray in confidence in the will of God. So when we know we're praying in the will of God, we can pray knowing that God will answer that prayer. But when we just ask him for things we want, we don't know. So I was on the top of the ladder, and I said to the Lord, it would be lovely if I just went down to the garage and there was a little bit of lead there, just right to fit that hole. <laughs> I moved the ladder across a bit and looked to my right. Now, in, the, in, the, um, in this uh, porch, there's what's called a gully, where the porch goes round a corner, and there's a gully. Lying in the gully was this piece of lead about this long and about this wide. Presumably the builders must have left it there, but God knew I needed that little piece of lead, and it was just the right size to cut in half, roll, and plug that in. And I just thought, God is good. God is interested in the small things, and he really blessed me with that. He blessed me with something else that's a little bit more significant this morning to do with uh, the two-edged sword, which I'll tell you about later on. So, where are we in, uh, in our studies? We've been following on Sunday mornings a series on relying on God. And we've looked at different areas in which we rely on God. So, if I prefix the topics of the talks with relying on, on God, we rely on God in trouble. That was the first one. In times of trouble, we rely on God. We rely on God for direction. Where we want to know where to go, we rely on God. We rely on God not only for our own forgiveness, but we rely on God to help us to forgive other people. We rely on God for justification. And this morning we come to revelation. I told my son Steve that I was speaking about revelation. He said, do you mean the end times? I said, no, we're not talking about the end times. We're talking about God revealing things to us, showing things to us, making things clear. So it's about uncovering what God wants us to know and understand and do. So it's that kind of revelation. It's revealing or uncovering. Uh, and we're going to think about um, a passage from 2 Corinthians, the next in the sequence, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's verse 7 
to 18. And in a few minutes, Carol's going to come and read that passage to us. But first, just to think about where we're going with it, I want to think about this short passage in three steps. First of all, what does this passage say? They're simple steps. What does this passage say? What do we understand from this passage? Second, what does this passage mean? And that is about talking about how does this passage apply to me? What do I take from this passage that's relevant to me now? And then thirdly, how do I respond? What is is it that God is inviting me to do in response to what he's saying in this passage? And I'm using that word inviting carefully because God doesn't require us to do anything in particular. His desire is that we serve him. He invites us to be part of what he is doing. So there's an invitation in this for us to respond to what God says. So let's start by reading that passage. So Carol, if you'd come and read into the microphone, that would be great. Thank you. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though that brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, How much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was more glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ." Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Brilliant. Amen. Thank you, Carol. That's wonderful. Thank you for reading that. I don't know if you're like me. When you read uh, what Paul writes, often I read it through and I think, "Mm, yeah, okay, he's gone round here and round there and wherever, and I've kind of lost the thread along the way, and I go back and I read it again and... And I have to read it again. And you kind of untangle the, the thread that he has and get to the clean, simple message that he's conveying. And there's a repeated word in there about the veil. Now, we're thinking about the veil is something that covers or shields. A, a bride wears a veil. 
uh, when she comes to the wedding. And, and at the end of the wedding ceremony, she lifts the veil and the bridegroom can see the loveliness of the bride. I think there's something special about that, yeah? Um, Ro and I bought a new car about three and a half years ago, I think. And it was rather special because it was a brand new car. Now, Richard trying to, had been trying to persuade me to buy a second-hand car. And I, I felt we should have a new car. <laughs> so we did. Anyway, we went, to the, we went to the showroom to collect it. And when we walked in, there was a car there in the, in the, in the entrance of the showroom. But it was covered in a cloth. It was covered in a veil. And it said, this is your new car. But you couldn't see it. It was all covered up. And they take you over and you sign the papers and everything. And then we walk back over and the, the, the salesman removed the veil. And there was this lovely car. And I felt blessed by it. You know, I knew the specification. I knew the model. I even knew the color. We'd chosen the color. I knew all the bits and pieces inside it. But I saw the car and there it was complete. And I just felt blessed by the car. Now, we're not talking about cars here. We're talking about something so much more precious. The car just pales in significance. But that was that moment, I remember, when the veil came off. And for the first time, I saw the car that was going to be our car. Um, so we're thinking about removing a veil. So what's the veil that, uh, that Paul is talking about here? Um, First of all, he's been, we've been, he's been talking about the new covenant. And when in, we've had talk before from, from James, we've heard about justification, which is part of the new covenant. I'm not going to go there again, but if you don't recall the detail of that, go back onto the website and listen to that. It was brilliant, James. Just so clear and helpful. So go back to that and, and listen to that again. Um, but he's it, it, talking about the new covenant, which is the promise of God for new life in Jesus. But now Paul goes back to the old covenant. The covenant that was given to the people through Moses. And when you look in Exodus 34, you read the story about how God gave the law to the people through Moses. And it was written on tablets of stone... And Abraham, uh, sorry, Moses had gone up the mountain. He'd come down from Sinai with these tablets of stone. And it says in Exodus that when he came down from the mountain with this promise from God, his face shone from being in the presence of God. He was reflecting the glory of God in his presence, having been that close to God. And it had two effects. One, it frightened the people... Secondly, I think it unnerved Moses from their reaction. I think he probably thought, well, this is going to fade. And I don't want people to see the fading of the glory of God. So I think for those two reasons, Moses put a veil over his head before the people. One, so they wouldn't be afraid, afraid of the glory of God. But second, that they wouldn't see that glory fade. He wanted them to hold on to uh, that, that, that glory. And as Christians, it's easiest for us to think back to the Old Testament and think, well, that was the law. That was the Ten Commandments. We are now free from the Ten Commandments. And that's not the case. That covenant is still there. It's still true. It's still what God wants of us. But Paul is saying, 
if the glory of the, the old covenant, which was embodied in the law, which was how man and women and children and everybody, how people could please God, how they could live life to serve God's purpose. If that was glorious, so much more glorious is the new covenant. But Paul says that people in his time, just as people in our time, people in his time still fail to recognize uh, the glory and the promises of God when the Bible is read. And he says it's rather as if a veil was placed over them so that they couldn't see God's glory and so that other people couldn't see the glory of God reflected in them. He said Christians today can still wear a veil which, which shades, which covers God's glory. And he says this glory is revealed in the new covenant which is greater than the new covenant because the old covenant led to death but the new covenant leads to life. So, so much more should we lift the veil that separates us from God's glory and stops other people seeing God's glory in us because it's so special and it's so amazing. So, what is this new covenant that shows the glory of God? The first thing to understand is what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement. I suppose the modern word that we would use for covenant would be a contract. We sign a contract. And a contract is, has two parts. It has um, the first party and the second party. And the two come together in an agreement. In the old covenant, God set out um, what his promise was for the people and he set out his conditions for that promise in the law. Uh, in Exodus 34 verse 30, it says... Um, the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the, in all the world. That's the old covenant. Now we have a new covenant, a new agreement. And at its very heart, that new covenant is Jesus. The new covenant is embodied in Jesus. Now, you might ask, well, how can a person be in agreement, even if that person is Jesus? How can Jesus be an agreement? Jesus himself quoted from the Old Testament when he began his ministry, and he used these words which you would find in Luke chapter 4. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And when you look back where that reference comes from that Jesus was quoting, you find it in the book of Isaiah. And it appears twice. It appears in Isaiah 42 and it appears again in the more quoted uh, uh, part in Isaiah 61. But in Isaiah 42... It prefaces it with this, the words spoken by God. God says, I will make you, and he's speaking about Jesus. The prophecy in Isaiah there is all talking about Jesus. And God says, I will make you a covenant for the people 
and a light for the Gentiles. And Paul explains that in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter, this is a paraphrase, not literally as it's translated, but it's a paraphrase version of Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 10, which says, Christ died for us. And because of his death, we are now justified before God. We are saved from any fear of punishment. We are reconciled to God as one of his dearly loved children. Through the death and the life of Christ, God has provided the one and only means by which we can be faithful and loving friends and children he created us to be. And then further on in, uh, in, the, chap- in, the, in the book, in chapter 16, it says, Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but not revealed and made known then, so that all nations might believe and obey him. So the new covenant is an agreement. It's an offer that God makes to us. And it's available to everybody. And if you haven't entered into that agreement with God, then that offer is there for you today. It's there for you this moment. In Jesus that Jesus offers all of those things. He offers a way of being set right with God, an offer of being saved, an offer of being reconciled to God so that we can live in relationship with God. And so if you've walked into the church this morning and you don't know that peace with God and that reconciliation, that peace that comes through Jesus' salvation then today is the time, now is the time, to come to that place. Just talk to somebody at the end of the service. Graham often says, I'll introduce you to Jesus. I'm sure he'll make that offer today. Now what does it mean for us today, those of us who are Christians, who are disciples, who set our our, our focus and our lives to follow Jesus? What does it mean? Um... I guess, and I can talk for me in this, that a lot of the time I live my life as if I still had that kind of veil over my head. I want to know intimacy with God. Some friends came to pray with me on Monday afternoon uh, and we talked a bit. I hadn't talked to them for a while, but... uh, we talked for a bit, and then we, we, set to, we, we, we sat down, we, we were praying for one another, and it was my turn first to be prayed for. And my friend said to me, what do you want most? And, uh, and I thought, well, this is amazing, you know, what do I want most from God? What can I think of that I could ask of God that these friends will pray for me? And I, without really any hesitation, I said, I want intimacy with my Father. I want to know him. I want to know him, my walk day by day. I want that closeness of relationship with him. And they prayed for me on Monday afternoon. And I think that that's linked to Tuesday morning, the next morning, when God said to me, go out in the garden. I've got some things I want to say to you. And I had a time of intimacy with God. I don't know if you're like me. I find when I set myself to pray... I sit there and my mind's off here and my mind's off there and whatever. And I don't find that place of intimacy very easily. I'm quite envious of people who can just come into that place of intimacy. I find it hard, really hard. 
because my mind is full. But somehow when I go into the garden or when I go and walk out on the hills or in days past when I'd be out on my windsurfer, which I love to do, God was intimate with me. And I'd encourage you to find that place where you have intimacy with your Father. Do you know that is the thing? If, 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 if you ask God, what do you want most? Like my friend said to me, what do you want most? What can we pray for you? If you ask the Father, what does he want most with, for you, with you? He wants your intimacy. He wants that relationship with you. But what do we do? We cloud it with things. We cloud it with all sorts of stuff. We cloud it with busyness. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, in the things that we do, we're busy about the things we're doing. We're busy about the things that we're worrying about, the things that we're anxious about. And those things are like a veil that separate us from our loving Father. We also go to places where we think we'll find it. I wrote down some examples here of of places that that people go to find intimacy with their Father. Uh, They go to church leaders sometimes. They go to church leaders or with prayer prayer and encouragement. They say, lead me into intimacy with my Father. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a good thing to go to somebody else and ask them to pray with you but it's second-hand. Um, we can go to renowned teachers, great teachers, great speakers. We can visit them. We can go where they're speaking and hear what they say. We can get their talks on CDs or on DVDs. We can read their books. But more important that we actually come to Jesus. Because Jesus is the person, the only person, who can bring us into that place of intimacy with the Father. Jesus says, come with me. You know? Come with me. And I will take you into the Father's presence. So we don't need all of those other things. They're helps, but they can also be hindrances. Come to the Father through Jesus Kind of to help us in this, I want to turn to one of the prayers that uh, Paul prayed over people. And it's, it's in Ephesians, and it's chapter 1. There's, there's lots of these, and they so, they're such a blessing when you read them and receive those prayers from Paul into your own life. But this particular one came to me when I was thinking about um, what would God say to us this morning. So this is in Ephesians and it's uh, chapter 1. Just flicking through to find the words. Um, here we are. Let's start at verse 15 in chapter 1. Paul says, For this reason, and he's talking about the early part of the things he said in the chapter, For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's the prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, so that you might come into that intimate place. 
I pray also that the, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And I could go on. But there's three things embedded in that prayer that Paul would have revealed to us, uncovered to us. The hope to which we've been called, which should just thrill us, shouldn't it? It should just thrill us. <laughs> uh, I don't like wearing this microphone thing. And I, I, I said to Linda, I said I would wear it today. And I said, tuck the wire down my shirt <laughs> and she said, well, it'll tickle you, give you tingles in the spine, <laughs> tickle you back. When you're intimate with the Father, you get tingles. I get, I don't know if you do, I get tingles in my spine. You know, I get tingles in my spine. When Stephen, Steve Armstrong, stood up this morning and shared that word with us right at the beginning of the service, I got tingles down the back of my neck, you know, because this is God speaking to us. It's intimacy. So we should be excited. We should have that thrill when we think about what God has for us, what our hope is. You know, do we still get that? Do you still get it? I, you know, where do we go if we lose that? It's not the tingling in the spine that's important. It isn't that at all. It's the intimacy. It's the important. It's the, it's the, it's the that being with the Father that's important. And if we've lost it, where do we go to find it again? And there's only one place, isn't there? We come to Jesus and we say, bring me into intimacy with the Father again. The inheritance we have. Now, this is interesting because the inheritance, it is our inheritance. There's truth in that. We have an inheritance. We share that inheritance with Jesus. But when you read the words here, it actually says... Um, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Which is the his? It's Jesus. That thrilled me. That we are Jesus' inheritance. Jesus died for you and for me. And we are become, we have become his inheritance. He inherits us. We are his people. We are his church. And there's a privilege and a joy in that. And thirdly, there's the power. There's the power of God in our lives. Do people see Jesus when they look at us? Because they should do. You know, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law, the people saw God. They saw the glory of God in Moses. They saw it in his face. Do people see Jesus when they see us? I, I just feel really bad at that <laughs> but I know they want to say because I feel I don't show Jesus enough in my life I was challenged at the um, the Shropshire Hope Day of Prayer with the speaker this last weekend who was talking to us about how we share Jesus with people in our neighborhood with our friends and our relations and you know so many of us feel uh, 
we can't share Jesus with words. We, can't find the, we don't find the boldness or the braveness or even the words to say. But we can demonstrate the love of Jesus in the things that we do. So when I climbed on the ladder to fix my neighbor's roof, I wanted to show my neighbor the love of Jesus. Just as I found that strip of lead in the gutter, my neighbor walked out the front door, and I just and, and I was chatting to Rosemary, and I said, did you tell him about the lead in the gutter? And Rosemary said, yes. And I said to him, God is good. He answered my prayer. I prayed for a bit of lead, and there it was in the gutter. Well, I don't know what he made of that. <laughs> probably thought I was a bit like this. But anyway, share love in small ways with your neighbors, with your friends, with your relations. Because in sharing love in practical ways, you are sharing Jesus. And then you won't have to worry about the words that you need to say to them when you have the opportunity to witness. Because they will ask, why did you do that for me? Why did you do that for me? And you can say, because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. And that's why I'm doing it. Okay, I want to pray that prayer. I want to read that prayer again. But I want us to pray that prayer over ourselves from Ephesians 1. And, uh, and I want us to absorb the words this time. I want us, as we, we say the words, I want to, us to bring those words to the Father and say, reveal, uncover these things for me. So I'll read the words again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. There's a whole series of sermons just in that one line at the end there. Just in that one line. His incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, what is available to us when we're in that intimate place with the Father? What could he do through you if you were intimate with him or me? I were intimate with him, what could he do? I want to finish with just a little bit of a, a, a story from the last part of, of Tuesday, because I did get into the garden on Tuesday uh, after I'd fixed the, the guttering and whatever, and, uh, and we did various things in the garden. But I was up a ladder; so it's about an eight-foot, nine-foot ladder, and I was up in the tree, and I wanted to get some branches down out of the tree. They were, they'd grown too big. So I had three or four branches I wanted to cut down. So I was up at the top of the ladder and I found my old saw, which I keep in the greenhouse, which is a bit rusty, but it still works. And I was up the ladder and the first couple of branches were easy because they were down here and I could cut them like that and they, they dropped. Rosemary was weeding down here and I said, mind out when they fall. But <laughs> fortunately she did. But then the next one that I wanted to cut was there. So I'm at the top of this ladder and it's there and the ladder's wobbling. So I called Rosemary over to come and hold the ladder for me when I went up there. And I, you can imagine me up there with the sawdust falling in my face and I'm, I've got this rusty old saw and I'm trying to cut this branch and it's slow. <laughs> and Rosemary's getting impatient. And I call down, and she will tell you this is absolutely... I call down to Rosemary, my sword is blunt. Now, I don't know why I said, my sword is blunt, but that's what I said, didn't I, Ro? My sword is blunt. I meant my sword is blunt, but it came out, my sword is blunt. 
It was hard work. I had to keep going like this, and then I cut a bit more. My sword was blunt. When we went in for lunch, um, Rosemary said to me, she said, I think there was a bit more in that than you you realize. It wasn't wasn't just a slip of the tongue. I think it was a slip of the spirit. God was saying something again. Uh, You know, the sword. Hebrews, uh, um, Graham quoted from Hebrews 4 when he prayed for me. Um, And Hebrews 4, it talks about the two-edged sword Uh, This is verse 12. Uh, It says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It's revealed. And uh, and I just thought there was a word there in that. I, I want to sharpen my sword. You know, I want to sharpen my sword. So when I have the opportunity given by God to speak into somebody's life, I speak with a sharp sword, not a blunt one. I want to pray for a sharp sword. So, if you want to come into a living relationship with God through Jesus, the Savior who died and rose again for us, come and talk to somebody at the end of the service. If you want to know deeper intimacy with the Father through Jesus, come and talk to somebody at the end of the service. If you want to be more effective in the kingdom, if you want your sword sharpened so that you're ready for what God has for you to do this week, come and see somebody at the end of the service. Around the the room, there will be people wearing badges that say prayer and encouragement team. Carol's got one just here. Does it say prayer and encouragement team? Yeah, they are people who are ready to listen and pray with you, okay? So don't lose that opportunity. Don't let it pass by. Find somebody to pray with you this morning and give you encouragement. But more significantly, come to Jesus and ask him for that intimacy. Ask him to take you into the presence of the Father and know that special intimacy with him. I'm done. Thank you.